Disclaimer! The following episode contains strong language, which may be inappropriate for some viewers and or children. Listener discretion is advised. One of the questions I used to ask my athletes, um, or when I speak to audiences, one of the questions I like to ask people is this. As you think about everything that you do in your life, everything from shaving in the morning to, you know, having sex with your lover to driving to work to, you know, going to the doctor because you got a rash on your ass to watching football playoffs, you know, NFL playoffs and watching my Vikings lose yet again. (laughs) You think of everything you do in life. Is it easier for you to say yes to things you hate doing? or to say no to things you love doing. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Hello everyone. Today, Jim sits down with Sven Erlinson, a former D1 football player, spiritual counselor, author of the Spiritual But Not Religious movement, and much more. Working as a spiritual counselor for over 20 years, Sven continues to help people unlock the powerful voice inside them so that they can begin living their truth and experience happiness and true aliveness. He attended undergrad at the U.S. Air Force Academy and graduate school in Berkeley. With his education and incredible life experiences, from living in the streets to becoming a pastor, he authors numerous books that continue to inspire and change people's lives today. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to like, subscribe, and share. We thank you for listening, and let's get right to it. How did you find your way to this work? When most people think about mental health, no disrespect, I freaking love it. They don't picture a guy like you. So how did you find your way to this? Um, well, I get that a lot. Uh, definitely uh, the sort of anti-stereotype whatever. Um when I was in high school, junior high, uh, peewee pony leagues, you know, I played football, played sports, so on and so forth. And then in high school, I was a football player and a wrestler, state runner-up wrestler, and came from a school known for wrestling in Minnesota and uh, less so football. You know, we were we were 500, you know, we were a 600, you know, average team, winning average. And um, a classmate of mine ended up going pro. And uh, we both had a shot to go D1, but he was he was at a different level than I I was. And I knew by high school, I didn't stand a chance of going pro, but I knew I had a shot, potentially a D1. Um, and I uh, ended up going to the Air Force Academy to play football, oh, wow. which nowadays, uh, the head coach there, I actually blocked for him. He was my quarterback, Troy Calhoun. He had been a pro uh, quarterback's coach and shit. But anyway, um Went there in the mid-80s, and it just happened to be the best year in Air Force history. Uh, we ended up uh, beating Texas Longhorns in a bowl game, ended the year ranked fifth in the country in the AP poll. And so it was a great time to be playing football at the Air Force Academy. And my intent in going there was to become a fighter pilot. That was the goal. And about uh, 70% of the graduates from the academy go to be you know, pilots. And um, and so I was there and I was there a couple of years and it was great. Loved it. Loved the military and the caliber of people that I had the opportunity to be around was just yeah. incredible. The, the best of the best. Creme de la creme. And uh, I, I, they fucking clearly had a mistake the day they let me into that place. Somebody <laughs> was drinking that day. I don't know how the hell I got in. But anyway, uh, there. And But I got in about my second year and my grades were fine. I was a B plus student. Nothing sensational. Um, and, uh, my military performance was fine. Athletics were great. And, um, I just had the realization 
I'm done. No. I'm, and I couldn't explain it. And, and it was such a, I was such an arrogant little fuck back then. <laughs> that, you know, I just thought I was king shit. You know, I, I'm going off the Air Force Academy, which at the time actually had uh, a, a higher exclusion rate than even Harvard at the time. I believe that, yeah. Applied versus the number of people that actually uh, got in. Uh, so it was, you know, I had a big uh, heart on for myself. I thought I was great. And so leaving the academy, I didn't know why I was leaving. I just knew I didn't want to be there anymore. Mm. Um, and that was a massive blow to my pride based on my own decision. I was being forced out. Whatever. Well, I got accepted to uh, an Ivy League school coming out of there and um, was all set to go and then decided not to because that wouldn't really solve my problem. Um, because I knew I just needed to be back in Minnesota where I'd grown up. And uh, so I went back and year or two here, jumped around, quit college a couple of times and ended up finally graduating then um, from a little liberal arts school in Minnesota. And Which one? There and ended up being the best year uh, football. We went 10-0, and went to the national playoffs, lost in the first round. Get out of here. No, we did. It was Gustavus Adolphus College in Minnesota. I know it. We went 10-0 and and we lost in the first round to the Johnnies. Um, who were just a national powerhouse D3. Different levels, yeah. Yeah, and uh, but we had beaten them in the season, and we lost because we were driving out of our own end zone, our quarterback drops back pass, and I'm right uh, tackle, uh, offensive line. I released my guy. I knew I had help, uh, you know, kept him off my quarterback for at least four seconds, so I released them outside, and I was going to go trail uh, the pass after it got thrown, but I released them right as Dean was throwing it, Threw an interception right into my guy's hands in the end zone. We lost the game. So oh, it was my man. fucking fault. It was, that was the best. Anyway, <laughs> so I got that on my fucking conscience for the last 30 years. Anyway, 35 years, whatever. Anyway, point uh -huh. is I left and uh, ended up um, uh, feeling the call to ministry. Be a pastor. My dad had been a pastor. I have five older siblings. None of us were ever planning to go into ministry, anything like that. I also had four uncles who were Lutheran clergy. Dad was a Lutheran pastor. My mother was a director of education at some of the largest um, uh, churches, Lutheran churches in Minnesota and taught at the seminary and so forth. Anyway, but I felt a call. And so I went to seminary and uh, you talk about square peg and around fucking hole, um, but they let me in and so on and so forth. And um, went to school out in California at the Lutheran seminary out in Berkeley and um, marital problems through the 1990s. One thing led to another. I quit seminary a couple of times. Then I went back and I studied at the Catholic seminary in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And that was great. That was two and a half of the best years of my life. And right about then I started writing. I had always been journaling and writing my entire life, but not like writing. I'd never visioned myself as, a, as an author or writer. It wasn't even a blip on my radar. Um, and then I had a few articles I wanted to write and I wrote those and a few of them got published. And then one thing led to another, and I'm in the middle of writing a book and uh, took a couple years off of seminary, and then went back. Oh, that that one came much, much later. There's oh, okay. I'll, I'll hold came, it. That came in a long time later. Anyway, uh, so I was in ministry, got um, went back to Minnesota, then went back out to Berkeley to finish after uh, we divorced. And um, right about that time, my first book came out, Spiritual But Not Religious. I was... Um, I was actually the first author in America to both name and delineate the spiritual, but not religious. Wait, dude, that's the title of the book? Yeah, it was the first that's, one. Now, now there are that's many. That's like common language. That's how people it is now. It wasn't then. It yeah. was not a part of common parlance back then. It wasn't on dating websites. Oh, I don't. I identify as spiritual, but not religious. None of that existed. 
people would say, well, I'm not really into organized religion, but I do kind of believe in God, or I am kind of spiritual, but, but that phrase didn't exist. And I knew That's when awesome. I started writing it about three years earlier, four years, whatever it was, I knew I had the tiger by the tail with that one because I'd seen it in my own family. And, you know, I'd just been immersed in the in religious culture and spirituality and so forth. And my parents never forced that shit on us. I mean, we all went to church, but there was never, it wasn't ugly. It was, it was really cool. And they were World War II generation. Anyway, bottom line is that book came out and nobody read it. So that was that. Um, but then, you know, another year or two later, you know, I graduated from seminary and um, met another woman. And uh, so fell in love with her, moved out to L.A. Long story short, the 2000s, I'm writing. And I had an incident. Um, my first ex-wife, uh, her father, we never got along. Nice fella. He's passed away years ago. But uh, he, at one point, had been general counsel of the Securities Exchange Commission. He had been appointed by Richard Nixon. So he's a fucking heavy hitter of a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, his uh, his daughter and I had divorced. And right around the time of the divorce, right before, right after, whatever the hell it was, he came to me and he said, Sven, you know, as you know, I don't like you. I said, yeah. And uh, he says, but you have a gift. And I have someone who can use your gift, who needs what you have. And so he introduced me to a person, also a heavy hitter in the finance industry. And um, I counseled that person for a brief amount of time, three, six months, whatever, and just let it go. And I don't think I even charged. I was a fucking idiot back then. Uh, but that was fine. It was fine. It felt good. It felt good to be wanted and appreciated. And I was just, uh, you know, I had had formal uh, counseling training prior to that and uh, done so in clinical settings and so forth. But anyway, and then one thing led to another. A couple of years later, I got a call from another person who knew that first guy who had been mm -hmm. referred to me by that first guy. One thing led to another. And before you know it, I sort of had um, a tiny little practice developing in uh, sort of corporate counseling, but less to do. Most corporate counselors or coaches are on the business side and i'm not at all i know nothing about business i don't claim to i don't give a shit um i'm i work with the people who have everything and they're fucking miserable or they have everything mm -hmm. and they're now on their fourth marriage or they have everything and their fucking kid hates them or they have everything or they're on the way to having everything and they're you know their kid's an addict or their 14 year old daughter just got pregnant and they realize holy shit i drove her to this or whatever people who have all the accoutrements, they bought into the dream, they succeeded, people of extraordinary willpower who are empty inside, who just, they, they squashed all of their pain, all of their misery, all the shit from their own past, they squashed and said, fuck it, I'm just gonna have more success, make more money, and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. fuck that shit. That willpower, I'm just gonna stuff that shit down. The shit we all believe, we're all taught, especially as males, especially as you know, young males, and young male, males are still hearing that shit nowadays. Oh, that fucking mental health shit, that's for pussies, fuck that. Or, you know, and women too, just as many women get it, you know. Anyway, and so they, they figure they're going to get the success, and if I get the success, you know, then I'll finally get the approval I need, although that's they're not even thinking that way. They're going after the success for reasons they can't even put a fucking finger on. Totally. Anyway, I get the people who reach the pinnacle, and realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. All this stuff, the titles, the promotions, the fame, and I'm in multiple industries, from Hollywood to the music industry to politics, that you know, I've got over the last 30 years, you know, a lot of fucking clients. And they discover, wait a minute, I've got all this shit, but it didn't fill the hole inside that it was supposed to fill. Right. 
And what eventually happens, as I tell people, and you know, I write about the book and shit, and that is that uh, the, the soul is more powerful than the will. And we don't know that. Nobody teaches that. We don't. Why would we ever think that? But soul is more powerful than the will. And whatever messages are imprinted in your soul that got imprinted when you were a child, and I'm not talking about the explicit ones. I'm talking about the implicit ones. Hmm. Whatever messages get imprinted in your soul, they will grind your life to a halt. No matter how strong your, how mighty your willpower, I guarantee it as a matter of absolute motherfucking. And that will be your day of reckoning. Whether it'll be when you're 45, or maybe it'll be when you're 37, or maybe it'll be when you're 58. And you know, I've got clients. <laughs> I got the son of a client right now. Uh, from the south, and I love the client. I had him for a while, and his son is bought into that shit. And the son decided to work with me. He's sort of bit by dad's coercion, but you know, and the son's bought bought into the same shit, being sold by a lot of the famous men on TV and shit like that. You know, just yeah. go after success and the money. The success and the money is just like. Anyway, point is, uh, so I wrote more books, still in the spiritual religious field, as this sort of little tiny little counseling practice was growing. Got thrown out of the Lutheran Church three times. Got thrown out of three individual parishes. Throwing out of the parishes was because I was standing up for gay rights as a straight man. And this was long before uh, the Lutheran Church sort of um, changed their fucking stupid ass laws. And um, and uh, so I was, you know, a gay rights advocate a little bit, you know, um, and but got it thrown out of the Lutheran Church because of my books and because of my generally annoying personality. And then... Um, you know, more books came and no one was reading the books. Well, nobody fucking writes books if no one's reading them. I mean, that's just dumb. Yeah. Um, but I just had more I wanted to say. And I did it because I needed to do it for me. And it's interesting how life works. You know, so I had these fucking failures in the career path that I thought I really wanted to be in, that I was passionate about ministry, right? And I wanted to change how we understand spirituality and religion in America. And I wanted it, but it didn't want me. And uh, so, you know, you know, as Steve Jobs once was quoted as saying, you know, we can only connect the dots in reverse. Hmm. Um, and now looking back, it had to be all of these experiences, the military experience and that massive blow to my pride, the humiliation, self-humiliation and the books that never sold and the immense career frustration. Yet this developing, slowly developing writing, love of writing, I, I determined really in my late 20s, I determined that there are three things in life that bring me the most joy. And that's speaking, writing, and counseling. And I don't care if I never make a motherfucking penny. I want to spend a life doing shit I love rather than making money or having titles doing shit I hate. And one of the questions I used to ask my athletes um, or when I speak to audiences, one of the questions I like to ask people is this. As you think about everything that you do in your life, everything, from shaving in the morning to, um, you know, having sex with your lover to driving to work to, you know, going to the doctor because you got a rash on your ass to everything that you do. Taking your dog. I just took my dog for a walk and it's a pain in the ass in winter to walk with fucking dogs. You know, I'd rather hire a dog walker. Oh, it's so expensive. Whatever. As you think of everything that you do in your life, including sitting on your butt watching football playoffs, you know, NFL playoffs and watching my Vikings lose yet again. <laughs> you think of everything you do in life. Is it easier for you to say yes to things you hate doing 
or to say no to things you love doing. Hmm. Right. No. And I asked that question. Everybody's different. There's no right or wrong answer. Right. And so just out of curiosity, Jim, for you, which is easier for you as you think about your entire life? Is it easier generally for you to say yes to things you hate doing or no to things you love doing? Without question, I, I say yes to things I don't enjoy. That's easier for you. Just easier for me. Okay, that's easier for you. And everybody's different. There's yeah. no right or wrong answer. And for me, it's just the opposite. It's easier yeah. for me to say no to love. I'm actually right now in the middle of a four-day fast. All right? I, hmm. I just randomly, I used to do it back when I was in wrestling, even though I was a heavyweight. And I do it just to fuck around, see if I can do it, you know, yeah, uh, whatever. And saying no to food, it sucks. I love to eat as yeah. much as anybody, right? But my point is this, and the reason I would ask my athletes this, is I would say, you're going to run gyms someday. You're going to be strength coaches, high school, collegiate, whatever. And part of what you've got to be able to do is how are you selling to your audience? Who is your audience? Because you want to know if there's nobody wants to go. I mean, sure, there are some that want to go to the gym. But generally speaking, wouldn't you rather be having more fun sitting on your ass at home having a beer watching NASCAR? Of mm. course. All right. So on one hand, for most people, especially people who aren't in shape or haven't made a lifestyle out of it, the idea of going to the gym sucks. I don't even like going to the gym anymore at 55. Mm. I go one day a week for four hours. I get absolutely torched on caffeine. <laughs> I hit extreme workouts, so I don't have to fucking go back. I spent <laughs> my first workout when I was 11. I'm 55. I've been doing this shit yeah. for four years. I wouldn't give a shit if I never had to go to the gym again. But I'm vain, so I got to go to the gym. My point is this. So if you've got someone that you're trying to train or you're trying to coach, knowing do they respond, which is hmm. easier for them, yeah. to say yes to shit they hate doing or no to the food? No to, you know, all this stuff they like to consume or yes, it, I, I can say no to the food so I can get in shape there. So in other words, what I would tell my athletes, hmm. you want to begin your program with your person. If it's hard for them to say no to the food, don't be ramming that down their throat as right, your fucking right. opening card. Go, if they can come to the gym, then start there. And as they get a little bit of momentum, you know, you can sort of plant some seeds, but then as they get momentum, hey, do you want to go to the next level? Then go with this. But if someone, it's extraordinarily painful to say no to food, don't be ramming that shit down their throat, right? That's totally. just bad salesmanship. Right. Anyway, anyway my point yeah. is, um, so I got hired as an NCAA coach, um, strength coach in the mid-2000s. And for me personally, you know, it was fun. And, uh, you know, I had some successes and a lot of those guys have gone on to have really neat careers. One of them now is the strength coach for, I don't know, the Jaguars or the fucking Chargers oh, cool. or something. And, where, where, what college was this? This where, was where, where? college in Minneapolis. Tiny, tiny, dinky yeah. little school. D3 no, just because this is, the, I, I love that conference. I don't want to derail this at all. I freaking, uh, your energy is oh, uh, go ahead. jacked up. But uh, St. Olaf. Uh, yeah. the Johnny's, the Tommy's, like that, there's some serious. Uh, yeah. We've got a kid. We've sent a couple kids to Carlton. Uh, oh, yeah. I know those, the are, those are your brainiacs going to McAllister and Carlton. You bet. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. It's no, and and there are so many great D three schools, and they play good ball and and good sport, great sports. You know, hockey, whatever. Hmm. Um, so great. anyway, yeah, they had never had a sports, uh, uh, really a, a lifting program, and so we built it and exploded, and now they've just taken it to other levels. And their their um, uh, athletic director had been their head wrestling coach for years, and in like twenty four years, he produced thirteen national championships. Wow! And so then he became the athletic director, and so they just they've taken it to a new level and so forth. Anyway, um, so that was in one element in there, and that. But for me personally, just for me, 
the idea of spending my life in a gym, just it's just like I want to blow my fucking brains out because it's just it's not my thing. You know, yeah. I enjoy the gym. I love being around athletes. I love the fire. I love the intensity. And because of where we were located in Minneapolis proper, we had um, we had you know the women's Olympic hockey team trained in my gym because we had two rinks in Minneapolis proper. So they were using our rinks before um, uh, University of Minnesota had built the rinks for their women's team, etc. And so we had the women's Olympic hockey team. We get pro athletes training in my gym and shit. And so I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, at, with the University of Minnesota right there one of the top wrestling schools in the country in D1, and we were one of the top in D3, what were we naturally turning out then? UFC fighters. When UFC and Bellatar were just fucking taken off, yeah. and so, you know, we had guys like Roger Matador Puerta. You know, I mean, he was ranked whatever UFC, like number 11 welterweight, whatever the fuck he was. You know, these, the yeah. level of intensity, yeah. the level of focus, it's exciting to be around, as you know. Right. Yes, uh, but for me, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a fucking gym. So you, I, I've got all these things just sort of happening, but none of them coagulating, right? I've got this spiritual shit, which is, you know, the essence of my life's work. It's, you know, yeah. centering self, finding the power from within rather than from willpower alone. Mm. I, don't, I don't ever motivate myself. I don't ever mm. try to conjure up energy. I don't ever try to motivate my clients ever. I tell them if it's not inspired, if you're not jacked to do it, don't fucking do it. You're mm. forcing it's not time. People say to me, well, how do you work out on that fucking program? I say, I only work out when I'm jacked to work out. I'll walk into the fucking gym. It's like, yeah, I don't feel like it today. I'll walk out. But you know what that means? Maybe two days later, I'm like, I'm, I'm jacked. I'm so fucking excited to be in here. And I'm lifting my fucking, I listen to my body. But that includes listening to that voice inside. People who are training for the Olympics, do you want to know why they're in that gym? Because they want to fucking be there. They're excited. Yeah, they like it. Yeah. Are there day, are there days when it's a drag? Yeah. But there's you know what they're saying? Even a drag training for the fucking Olympics, even a drag day is 10 times better than that job I had doing X, Y, or Z. So even on the yeah. shitty days, they still want to be there. It's not an issue of motivation. It's just like this is who I am. And you know what? Can I add something to that? Because you're saying something that resonates a lot with, with me and with our approach. <clears throat> our We have this idea. We call it the mantra of practical mindfulness. And it's simply, does your behavior match your goal? <clears throat> we, we've got, t- I'll send you a t-shirt, in fact, uh, with that on it. Because it's, it's just, it's confronting that idea <clears throat> over and over and over again. And that's, that's one of those, you can almost put it in the category of like high level uh, existential executive functioning. Are you willing to, do you like going to the gym? Does this align with your goals? And and I t- go all that to come, I say all that to come back to this idea of what motivation even is. I believe our approach is often motivation is not like the hype that you see on the internet and stuff like that. It's essentially motivation requires alignment with motives. And I think that's part of what you're saying. This is what I want to do. This is what I feel. This is what's going on in my head. Uh, that's when we find true intrinsic motivation. Absolutely. And, and taking that even deeper, the, where, so the people I work with over the years, so these high level execs and successful actors and actresses and, and singers and, and politicians and so forth, people that I work with um, very often went into these careers and created these successes because they had these goals. But then they get to 43 or 52 or whatever age, and they're like, what the fuck? Part of the issue where we have to go even below what are my goals 
it, where I take people then, and I try to do it with young people, but sometimes they, they're not as malleable as they need to be. They bought what we're still being driven by so often in life when we're young is the conditioning of our past, the, the messages we were taught about ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like when the, the road crew pours the sidewalk out in front of your house and they surface that fucker and it's all crystal, pristine, flat, and then it's the end of the day and they put the tape around it so all the little peckerhead kids in the neighborhood won't come and you know walk on it or press their hand into it or write with a stick, Tommy is a fink, right? But they, once they leave, what happens? All the little peckerhead kids come out from the neighborhood and they press their hand in it and push things in it. And then those shapes and those messages harden. When we are children, we are wet cement. And the messages that we receive from the primary influences in our lives, particularly mother and father, go into that cement and they harden. And it's not the explicit messages I'm talking about. It's the implicit ones that, for instance, I have a client yesterday. And uh, this woman built, built an extraordinary business. Um, in New York City, you know, over $100 million. She's been the boss since day one. And uh, and uh, she's married and she and her husband are raising their kids and so on and so forth. And one of the things I really had to get in her grill about is how difficult is it for you to turn off president of the company when you walk in the front door? She, you know, we talk about that and so on and so forth because part of what's happening, I'm also seeing one of her sons and her son is getting the message, the underlying message. He's not aware of it. We found the words for it. Mom's very busy. Dad's very busy. Work is important. Mom's in, engaged in this very important business in the arts. And um, that's very busy. And the message he's been getting from a very young age is mom's work is important. I wish you were here. I feel lonely. I need more affection. I need more attention. Mm -hmm. Mom's work is important. I'm less important. Implicit in her uh, actions. Yeah. Right? It's implicit in the actions. She never said that. She's like, no, my son is my whole life. I said, it doesn't matter. What is your time distribution yeah. and the message being conveyed through your time? But then here's what happens. What does a child's mind do? A child's mind does what really an adult mind would do. Because as adults, we would do the same thing. If my girlfriend is spending more time with all of her friends and less time with me, I guess I'm less important. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then the child's mind makes the next leap and thinks, "I'm uh, work is important. I'm less important. I'm not important. That's it. Yeah. I'm no good. Wow. I'm unwantable. Though that is the natural progression. And it happens. And that is never the intent of that parent. Mm -hmm. If we give the parent the benefit of the doubt, it's very loving and affectionate and blah, blah, blah. Okay. The child is getting the implicit messages and, or, and so forth. So those get pressed into that. Now, what's that child going to spend the rest of his life doing? He's going to spend the rest of his life trying to get his love cup filled, people mm -hmm. to pour love in, to convey the message to him, you're important, to convey the message to him, you are good. So the first time he gets love, let's say from a girlfriend, all right, or maybe he's gay, from a, a buddy, you know, and they fall in love, girlfriend, whatever, Right. he is going to hold on to that new love source because he's never felt it like that. That somebody actually treats him like he's really, really important mm. and cares and is there for him and wants to spend time with him. Or what's going to happen is, but he's still going to be trying to get that approval from the parent or avoid the criticism. And so guess what we do? We craft careers based on the desire, the underlying mm -hmm. pressed deep inside of us into the cement of our soul, that underlying desire to finally get that approval I've never gotten or to prove my importance. 
Imagine how big a career someone would build if they're being driven by a belief system that they can't even see that says, I'm unimportant. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life showing the world how fucking important I am. I'm going to become a professional football player. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Yeah. And so our dreams and the things we think we want are actually based on a false version of ourselves. The false version is the one that believes I'm not important or I'm no good or the real me doesn't matter. I just exist to meet my drunken father's needs, mm. you know, and, or to walk on eggshells. And so my voice or my feelings, how many of us growing up got the message? I'll give you to fucking something, something to cry about, young lady, or yeah. big boys don't cry. Or and so what does a child learn? Keep their feelings in. Not an effective long-term strategy. Why? Right. Because all those bottled up feelings, they will manifest themselves later in drug use and, and overworking, overparenting, gambling, etc. Okay. Yeah. So the point is this. So even when I come to 22 or 18 or 27, and I'm trying to find myself, maybe I can't find myself. Yeah, you want to know why? Because you've had all these messages shoved down your fucking throat, but your own voice is rising up for your soul. And they're meeting inside of you creating all this fucking tension. And these, because they're so powerful, mom and dad wanting that approval or whoever raised you, you're living someone else's life and you wonder why you're fucking depressed, anxiety ridden, because you're not living an authentic life and you don't even know it. You don't even know what the hell those core messages are or the ones that are successful and driven. That doesn't necessarily mean that the goals they're setting come from their authentic self. They may come from a version of self. They may have even come from a good home, but still gotten messages that made them think, you know, the real yeah. me doesn't matter. I'm unwanted, right? But that's not your native state. No child comes out of the womb thinking, gee, I suck. Gee, I'm unwanted. Right. I love right. That. That's right. Yeah. And so then they, they adapt because they're wanting that praise or they're trying to uh, avoid that criticism. And so we have to go even deeper than what my goals are. It's going down into. And, you know, most therapy doesn't do that. And it's like most coaches are, and, you know, whatever. Uh, most people don't even know that there's shit down there, but it's down in the bedrock of who we are. And so oh, there's agitation, if there's depression, if there's anxiety, if there's out of control behavior, all of those are indicators that this person has some shit inside of them that they're fighting. And so they got one foot on the accelerator and they got one foot on the brake. And they're, it's like they're fighting themselves and they will accomplish okay. things. But the day of reckoning will come because the soul is more powerful than the will. So that presents a conundrum for a fellow like you running yeah. a massively successful program and, and working with interacting with count, coaching, but counseling all of these young people, which I have profound respect for. I could never do what you do. I yeah. swear to God, I couldn't. I know for a fact I couldn't. And so it, the immense impact. And so it's like, well, then, well, what the fuck do I do with this? So yeah, right. you know, it's how did how do that translate? You know, you sort of got to take the kid where they're at. But the problem is the, the kid that is presenting is oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes not the actual authentic kid. That's the right. problem. Right. So I like, I, I want to go, I want to talk to you for seven hours just after, <laughs> after hearing that. There's so much to unpack there. It's inspiring and it is spot on. I can't tell you how I've been taking some notes down here. I can't tell you how many light bulbs and, and asterisks and things have just like are, are crystallizing. Even as you're saying that I thank you for sharing it. I hope everyone who's listening is, is getting this. Here's, here's what really resonates with me. First of all, you use the term bedrock. Uh, we actually have um, 
So, you know, the Good Athlete Project is a nonprofit organization. I mentioned I've got a couple others. I also do leadership and organizational development, and I do executive coaching as well. I'm not a licensed therapist, and I'm very quick to say and admit it, uh, but I'm, we take a very sort of pro-therapy approach. You know, we're, we're influenced by the methods in other realms. And when you say that that coaches are not going deep enough, I'm like, yeah, I got a certification. It's up here. I'll make sure it doesn't get on screen. And it's like, it's good. It's okay. Doesn't account for this at all. And it's like, you know, temporary behavior modification is not that interesting to me. Like you say, the day of reckoning will come. Um, But uh, it's it's funny you say that we have a concept. In fact, it's a website, Bedrock EDU. And we talk about all the time. It usually refers to addressing the physiological self and, and examining how that impacts the psychological self. But bedrock foundational concepts, and and here's where this takes me. I have been doing, I'll be super vulnerable and open here. Um, I I love football. I think football saved me in a lot of ways. Who who knows what the heck that means? But I know that I had some some tough times growing up and lost some people and did a variety of things. There was some uh, emotional, I'll just say damage. Uh, to put it broadly, over the course of a handful of years that I don't think I ever would have named that way until probably two months ago, legitimately. Um, And what I found, what I've recognized in the backtracking, you mentioned the connecting the dots in reverse. What I mentioned, what what I recognized was uh, whatever that was, I found sort of a, a salve for it on the football field. And it did not happen automatically. I had to kind of find my way, but all of a sudden I'm getting a pat on the back or a uh, you know, putting someone, you know, a, a mentor, an adult male mentor, putting his arm around me and I'm feeling, and I feel fantastic. And that, and that drove me to, and I won't, I won't go through all the accolades, but the desire to, and ultimately a certain degree of success on the football field for you. I played 16 seasons of football. I chased this dream for a long time, got a paycheck to play, play you know, won championships in Europe. It was an unbelievable career. Awesome. So many fantastic experiences. Um, and I'm sharing this with you. I'm just talking to you like a buddy right now. I hope the listeners will enjoy it. Uh, but alongside that journey, and I'll come right back to why it, 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 what you just said resonated with me alongside that journey. I would say this early in my football career, when all that stuff was going on, I had some missteps. I, I got suspended from school at one point, fast forward down the road. I eventually walked across the stage at Harvard university, you know, got a handful, you know, and it was the lessons learned from sport that, that I recognized started to transfer to these other areas. So unbelievable value. And that's the thing that I continually try to share both with the, the, the people I work with in leadership development arenas, my coaches, kids, et cetera, et cetera. So that's like my charge is to sort of pay it forward. However, there's a thing that has come into my attention recently that you just touched on. And that's why I, it resonated with me so much. Um, I don't think the, the piece of me from way back was ever fully healed. Right. So, so this, this pursuit, like, yeah, it, it, thankfully it took, uh, it was healthy in the way that I chased these outcomes. Thankfully, it doesn't happen that way for everybody. Right. But, uh, but I, it, it, you know, and what I found was you, you said something so powerful to hold on to the new love source. You were talking about relationships. For me, it was sports. I couldn't let go of it. All of a sudden I'm not playing football anymore. And I'm, and now I'm a coach and I'm trying to replicate. So I'm winning champion and I'm proud to say this again, we've done it in healthy ways. Proud to say I've been part of 40 state and national championship teams. I've been the head coach of 11 of them. Uh, And, and it's amazing. 
And, you know, this is the and, and it, it's also become clear to me, like I said, in the last couple of months that I was, that, that part of this was the continual glossing over of this thing that was never fully addressed. Yeah. I mean, think, I mean, think about one of the things you just said, you said, you know, it was so, um, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, so forgive me if I lose your word, but Basically, you said it was so powerful to have, you know, an adult male coach put his arm around me and say, hey, good job, kid, I'm proud of you, or whatever it might be. Think about that. It's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and and a lot of kids need that. We all enjoy that. No, Who's not going to like that, right? Right, right. What does it say that that something as simple as that was such an extraordinarily powerful thing to me? That really is an indicator, a testament to how empty your love cup was. Yeah. That something as simple as that. And so then that's an indicator of, oh, shit, there is a big fucking problem here. I'm sure yeah. you were a kid. That's not the point. Yeah. But that something as simple as that had such a profound effect is beautiful, but it's also an indicator of greater problem. Right. And you bring up another interesting point, and that is this notion of I pursued it. You know, even though I had this shit going on in me, I pursued it in healthy ways. And healthy is deceptive. People, you know, I get plenty of people who don't turn to the bottle, who don't turn to yeah, you know swiping, swiping and scrolling or just game people who turn to success and everybody thinks, you know, so they're functionally sick, basically. Hmm. And I don't mean sick like bad. I just mean their soul is sick because it's been infected with these goddamn messages that hmm. they got way back there that way, they way can't back. even yeah. see. There's a virus infecting the operating system. They just happen to do it in a way that's socially presentable. So everybody thinks they're fine. But mm-hmm. some wearing them, they know they're not. I also like what you said about, you know, the physio impacting the site, impacting uh, sort of everything else. And ultimately, what it gets down to in, in my work is that your your physiology is constantly talking. Mm-hmm. Our soul speaks through the feel. And if we're taught to mm-hmm. not listen to the feel, to disconnect from our feel, our feelings, your body is talking. And it's not just talking, ah, my fucking yeah. shoulder still hurts, you know? Right. But it's not that. I'm talking. I mean, it can be that. But I'm talking, how does the decision feel? After you've assessed pros and cons and all that shit, and after you've had a good night of rest and a good breakfast, how does it feel? What yeah. feels right? Because, that's it. because we go down so many roads in life, so many paths, that don't feel good fucking relationships we take jobs we go whatever and it doesn't feel right it's not registering as um as um in sync with who i am at my deepest core and the body yeah. is constantly talking it's intuition it's gut we say follow your gut but we're conditioned to not follow that if you're not in tune to how you feel you know there, there's that fucking episode I don't know if you're ever a Star Wars guy. I was I saw the very first Star Wars when I was in fifth grade. I went with Dave Bezeski. His dad took us. He was our fifth grade teacher. And uh, and there's that scene in much, much later Star Wars where a little fucking Anakin who goes on to become Darth Vader, he's standing in front of, as a little pecker, he's standing in front of the Jedi Council. And the very first thing that fucking Yoda says to him, the Grand Master, right, says to him is, what are you feeling? First fucking question. Why, mm. fuck's sake, would George Lucas, master storyteller, mm. all the fucking throwaway lines, and he, they, 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 every, every line in every one of those master movies is seriously deliberated. Why would he include that line? Mm. And the kid answers, "I feel cold." Isn't that what the fuck does that have to do with every anything? 
It has everything to do with everything. Remember, George Lucas based the entire Star Wars series on the writings of whom? Joseph Campbell. Joseph mm. Campbell, who, you know, he became popular in the 80s with his PBS series, The Power of Myth. But his real thing to put him on the map was back in the 70s. He was a college professor, wrote a book called The Hero of a Thousand Faces. Mm. And what he did examine was all the world religions and myth systems, indigenous tribes, to find what are the stories that animate the human experience and what he found. And so all of his work is this fucking deep shit. It's real fucking Carl Jung deep fucking shit, right? Anyway, Lucas, the entire story is the hero narrative written about by Joseph Campbell. And so this notion of what you feel, that if you can't tune in to what you're feeling, even if it's just, I feel cold, if you're not tuned into that shit, you are not tuned into your authentic source. Mm. And the force in the movies is that communing with your authentic, original, unencumbered by past messages and by past pain self Everything originates there. And that's why they had to train those little fuckers when they were three and five years old. So they're not being impacted by messages like mom's work is important. I'm less important. I'm not important. I suck. Hmm. Because it will corrupt your communication with your own authentic self. Anyway, back to you. Um, <laughs> uh, what's next? No, Stay dude, up. this is so. So here's what's next. I. I I this this pains me more than you know. We uh I, we're gonna have to call it soon. Be, but I, I like here, so here's what's next. I would I, I would love to have you on again. Zero pressure. I know you're swamped. I know you're doing all this amazing work. But but I get so jacked up listening to you. I don't know how, I don't know how else to explain it. Um, why why I, do I get jacked no, up listening? To you? Why, why what is it that triggers the feelings of jacked up? What mm. precisely? Are you feeling and why? What specifically and what I'm saying lights you up? This is good. Okay. I'll tell you exactly. In in uh, or I'll, I'll be as honest as I can. That's all um, I want. I, I think uh I, I I think I'm a pretty cerebral guy. Uh I got my library over here. I write a lot of poems, I write a lot of essays, I do a lot of painting, um all of the above. Um but I also know that after, you know, my career in athletics, I also know that there's like just below the surface, something closer to animal. And I hope that doesn't sound weird, but like, but, but I have an intensity that, that comes out as at times that, uh, that is just kind of part of who I am, I suppose. And, and not in a, And I, again, I hope that doesn't sound weird or scary, but like, like I feel very under control. I think we're all like that, by the way, I think not too far under the surface, you scratch hard enough, you find something prefer to only associate with people who are at that level of intensity or can tap it. So keep going. Well, and and I think that's part of, and I think what you're saying is part of, uh, part of what resonates so much to me. First of all, I think you've got the language spot on for what it's worth. It just really, it sounds right. And it's striking all the keys. It's playing the right chords in me. Um, and also, it, it's got a little juice behind it in a way that's maybe on a, a less cognitive level, more instinctual level. It's got the right kind of juice that that it just hits me in an important way. And that's, uh, you know, we talked about this before we hit record, but that's what our team embrace initiative is a lot. So like there's, there's also this like secondary, like synergy that just feels good. It feels like we're on the right path in that work. Like the team embrace thing is like, Hey, 
uh, the conversation of mental health should be open for everyone. And that's not, we haven't even labeled it that the, the, the conversation of self investigation or, or however you'd want to term it is for everyone. And some of the problems in that space are there are stigmas around what that even means. Uh, there, 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 are, there's fears. I know I've been subject to this. You put up walls and you don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, and for me, in order to fully open up and be vulnerable, if I'm in like a quiet room, I can be vulnerable up here, but not outwardly. And I, you know, and I need, I think uh, the way that you create energy or share energy uh, makes me feel more open in that way, I suppose. Good. And, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because this is something I see. It's nothing new, uh, but two things with regard to, you know, space up here and, um, you know, obviously you're, you know, well-educated, extremely intelligent person. Um, even without the education, but um, very often the, and I'm not necessarily saying it's the case for you, but uh, my job, people pay me basically for the same reason they pay a great trainer in the gym who actually knows their shit, who's going to kick their ass. They're paying, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, they're, you're paying that person for you to be able to hate them at the end of this, this effort. If I don't hate you, you didn't do your fucking job. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, People who are in their brain are often up in their brain because it's safe. Mm. Because it's safer up here than it is to go down here and mm. actually feel the shit that I've been – that tidal wave of all my pain and all the shit I've thought about myself, that tidal wave that I've been running from my whole fucking life. And if I stay in my brain, I don't have to fucking uh, – I can keep going. It's a distraction just like gambling or whatever. Overthinking can become as much of a distraction or intellectual pursuits as long as I don't have to touch that shit because that's the scary shit of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so we got a lot of kids nowadays, for instance. One of the problems I see with kids nowadays is the anxiety that accompanies overthinking. Mm, totally. Overthinking, overthinking is nothing new. Nothing new under the sun there, right? But fundamentally, what overthinking is, is it's being driven by the fear of pain. That yeah. what I'm doing is I'm gaming out every possible scenario mm -hmm. to its logical or illogical conclusion. Right. And I'm seeing what's the amount of pain waiting for me at the end of that path. And then we're choosing paths that it will bring the most amount of profit on the least amount of pain. So hmm. it's fundamentally a pain avoidance principle. Overthinking is fundamentally driven by the desire to avoid pain. Nothing yeah. wrong with avoiding pain. For me personally, I don't want to build a life on pain avoidance because I believe that um, happiness and pain avoidance, or what we call fear, fear and happiness are inversely correlated. That mm. if you have a life driven by fear, you're going to have less and less happiness, less and less yeah. fulfillment and peace. And so we spend a lot of time up there. And so kids are gaming that out. Why would a kid or an adult be gaming out how I might get hurt? Now, we all need to do that to some degree, whether it's financial pain, you know, I might lose money to some degree. But overthinking, we're talking about a different thing. Right. Well, clearly, this person has had pain in their past, and there's no fucking way I want to walk into that meat grinder again. So I'm right. gaming shit out. I'm reading people. I'm reading situations to find what's going to get me the least amount of fucking pain. And so once again, the goal, ultimately, in all of this, whether it's working with young people or old people or any people, ultimately, everything is driven by pain and fear. Mm. What I say to people is anytime you're trying to figure out why someone's doing something that doesn't make sense, always ask yourself the question, what's the what's the fear driving the behavior? Speculate the answers, bullet point the answers, right? Sure. And then go with the biggest, hairiest, hairiest scariest ones. So when I've got uh, young people that I work with, and they say, I want to do this X, Y, or Z. 
I said, you know, that's great. Go for it. Fuck do I care? It's your life, man. Spend it your way. Just out of curiosity, though, what's the fear driving the behavior? I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? There's no fear. Oh, there's always fear. What happens if you don't achieve that? What happens if you get halfway there, but can't, you know, don't make it past? What do you most fear happening? Hmm. Well, you know, or the fear of failure, which is why a lot of people won't start shit. They don't want They don't want to. Okay. Well, and one of the questions I like to ask, and it's in the book there that you have. One of the questions. Oh, I, can, I, like I can ask, hold it up. Yeah. One of the questions I like to ask is um, if you were to fail or become destitute or be alone, which is a big one for a lot of people. So they'll stay in shitty relationships. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be alone. The question I like to ask is, if that were to happen, first of all, what do you most fear happening if it happens? But here's the one I really like, and it's this. What's the one sentence in one sentence that you most fear people thinking about you or saying mm -hmm. to you if you were to fail or if you were to be alone or if you were to endeavor it and not reach your height? What's the one sentence you most fear hearing? In other words, force them to distill the fear down the ones because people just fucking ramble. I fear this, I feel this. No, no, no. What's the biggest? What is the one sentence you most fear hearing or people thinking about you? And then they'll say it. And then I follow up with this question. And who's the one person you most fear saying it? They'll say, uh, oh, right. But very often what they'll say is, oh, it's myself. I'm my own worst critic. I say, no, you aren't. Yeah. And I say, what the fuck? No, I am. I say, no, you aren't. You want to know how I know? Because you didn't come out of the womb hating on yourself. That's right. That means somewhere between the womb and right now, a voice was put inside me that taught you to be self-critical, to tear yourself down, to always do that. And so now we're getting to, so drilling down, the one voice you most fear hearing it from is usually the person who taught them to be self-critical. So now we're getting down to the root causes of why you're terrified of going after your dreams or why you're afraid of failure or why you're afraid of being alone. It's all those fucking voices inside. That's the messages that got pressed into that fucking screen. Anyway, um, that was uh, making a short story very, very long. So no, are you kidding me? That was uh, that was the most inspirational hour of my day. That was uh, that was fantastic. So uh, again, I hate to do this, but we we, I, we have to wrap for the day. But I want to first of all, I want to thank you sincerely. Not uh, not just for me and my life, and I'll spread these messages forward and cite you and all these things. But you, but, the, but your approach is uh, is so important, and I would suggest that uh, as as sort of broadly folks become more and more open to the concept of, of taking care of their own mental health. Uh, there's still a gap and it usually uh, more often than not, I see it existing in a population that would probably be more receptive to your messaging than what could be termed as the standard messaging in the world. So thank you so much for that. I hope people uh, who are listening to this, find your work, dig through it. We've got one book here. I've got to go I've got to find the other one, spiritual, not religious. I just love the kind. Is it still out that there? It's actually out of print. Uh, the publishers are—they've been working for a while to get it back in print because there's some just sort of culturally outdated things that are still in there, like references uh -huh. to you know whatever. But uh, that's working on it. There are a bunch of other books, but the main one is is the one that you have in your hand. I'm working on a follow up book to that. Um, and, and where, uh, where else can people find your stuff? Where else can they? Badasscounseling.com is my uh, website. Badasscounseling.com. Uh, the way most people find me is TikTok, um, and uh, it's badass counseling on TikTok. And then the other thing is just the the podcast. Uh, we've got a podcast right. we launched it about four months ago, and we're already up over I think uh, 180 thousand total downloads. And uh, it's just, in 2022 we were rated top five percent all platforms, all downloads in turn. Um, so yeah, it's just so, sort of off. And that's the badass counseling show. 
And uh, it's fun. We have a lot of fucking fun. And we have two formats on the show. It's not the kind of format where I'm interviewing people. Um, it's two things. On Thursdays, we release episodes where I'm actually counseling people on the show. Oh, wow. Night, yeah, on all different topics. We've got ones up there on yeah, generational trauma. We've got it up there on um, you know motivation, on cheating, on all sorts of shit. And then, but our our Sunday episodes that we drop on Thursdays and Sundays, our Sunday episodes are what I call lightning rounds, and it's me on TikTok taking doing a TikTok live, taking people's questions on any fucking subject live. But we're doing it in studio, whereas mostly I do my shit out in the woods. Uh, but we're doing it in studio, and then my producers they go through and they edit that fucker, and so it's just rapid fire questions. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, so that's the badass counseling show. But uh, yeah, and the truth is, my shit doesn't work for everybody, and that's fine. Yeah, and that's a and technically, I am not a mental health counselor. I'm actually a soul counselor, former clergy. I don't get into God shit. If people want to talk God, we can do that. But that's not what it's about. It's about your connection with your own soul, because it is my fundamental belief that that's where all peace ultimately and joy and happiness comes from, because you can have massive success and be completely disconnected from your own authentic self. And you ain't going to be fucking happy. So I tell you what, Jim, this has been awesome. You're great. I, I mean, I I mean I'm in. Uh, significant admiration of all that you're doing have done to be sure, but all the lives you're touching and the people that work for you and with you and uh, what a massive, massive impact. And to be doing it at the ages with these kids where they're just so malleable. Um, I, I'm, grateful that, I'm grateful you're in the fucking world, man, because you're doing shit uh, I never fucking do. Well, you are too kind, but I but I appreciate that very much. We do take our work very seriously, and we it is not lost on us that that is uh, youth in high school is is for all the reasons we've discussed and more, um, just such an important time for these kids. So uh, I appreciate you noting that uh, you're the man. I'll, I'll push this far and wide. Thank you once again. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them is up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.